Amen, OPBC Online, a ministry of Old Pass Baptist Church in Northfield, Minnesota. And we are coming live from this concrete cave uh, somewhere uh, far away from Northfield, Minnesota, and somewhere right in between other places that we go and preach the gospel to and find them go absolutely bonkers when we do. But anyway, it is the work that we do to get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. That's right, Fabian. We will find out whose head is bigger when worlds collide in May. Don't miss it. Right. Anyway, I hope you all had a good weekend. There, it looks like there's 64 of you on here right now. And... um. Let's see here. And seven over there. This is from a week ago. So, on Sermon Audio, the church is one true foundation, the Ephesians uh, 2, 22, verses 20 through 22. That's expository preaching. If you have not been listening to those, I personally think you're missing out on some good things. Personally, I I I do. There's a lot of good teaching in there and expository preaching through those verses to help you. Also, if you haven't been listening to our series on, I just finished it. I have one more to post. I think it'll be in a couple of days. I'll post the last one on Proverbs 31, the virtuous wife or the virtuous lady, uh, the Proverbs 31 wife, right? If you haven't been listening to those, I think you're missing out on some good ones too there. And you need to go back and listen. There's a lot of good training, a lot of good things. I kind of wanted to put that in with my children's uh, in raising children. And yesterday, I think I popped a blood vessel uh, yesterday morning because I preached yesterday. Uh, let's see. Here it is. Sunday morning right here. And I'm going to tell you what. I let it go, man. I did. I was preaching on the God that hates nobody, right? Uh, They're teaching children who the God of the Bible is, the God who hates. It was called the God who hates, right? And teaching children who God is. And I'm going to tell you what, I let it go, man, on that. And I, and I, I want our children and anybody who listens to me to understand who the God of the Bible is from the scriptures and for them to understand exactly what God says. Um, if you haven't heard that sermon yet, in fact, I'm going to edit that title right. Edit it right here live. Right? I hate using this keyboard. I can't use this keyboard. Ugh. And okay, so there we go. There it is. And you ought to listen to that. God who hates. Whoops. God who hates. 
It happens when I. There. There we go. That's fine. Now we've got it. Yeah, I haven't been giving my voice any rest for a while. So it's I'm like getting. I think it's getting. It's a little strained. I need to start drinking my ginger tea. What needs to happen here? Anyway, boy. So it looks like Rumble, the the audience, the Rumble audience has definitely grown. Uh, you know, we're averaging on our broadcast eight to nine hundred. This one, this one about the Super Bowl last week is almost up to a thousand, which is really good for raw, you know, hits or whatever, raw views. It means that it's it's going somewhere, right? So anyway, uh, praise the Lord for that. And people tuning in live, we're you know, we're anywhere from sixty to a hundred people live, which is really good. So, anyway, Joey Mack is on lockdown. Joey Mack is trying to get back in. He's watching over on on uh, Facebook because he's he's locked out of Rumble. He said, "I don't know what happened." But anyway. This is the broadcast we're doing right now. We're going to talk about the heathen origins of Mardi Gras, Ash Wednesday, and Lent. And we'll see how far we get with all that. I'm going to read you a couple different sources of things. And uh, show you just a a few things about that. And and we'll see what happens with all that as time goes by here. Uh, Sometimes we go, we dip down, and then all of a sudden we start climbing back up again with people. So, uh not too concerned about all that. But anyway, let me go to the Bible here. And I hope you had a good weekend. You keep praying for us. I had a good time with talking with Pastor Jeffrey uh, on Saturday. I was supposed to be doing these books over here. And I started a conversation. I called him because he was like, you know, we haven't talked for a while. We should talk. And it had been a while because he's not on social media that much. He's been trying to stay off of it. I don't blame him. It's, it's quite annoying most of the time. It's very vexing. And if you have as many enemies as I have, boy, is it ever vexing, right? But I'll tell you what, Luke came over. Luke and Lucius helped me the other day. They came over to my library, and uh, I found a shelf that I had to buy because I have thousands of books that are sitting on the stinking floor. I did have. I don't now. They're going to get, the rest of them are going to get put away. And this is going to be like, it's going to be good, right? But, so anyway, um, let me see if I can find the picture. Boy, did that turn out. Oh, here they are. These really turned out good. Okay, let me show you. All right, now remember, this is a work in progress, and it's been quite the work. All right, here you go, though. So here's here's one of them right here. Uh, this middle shelf that you're seeing here, this is 12 feet long. You see this? This is 12 feet Right? So then, I bought this at a, from a pet store. They, they used it to put, like, dog food on. 
Well, this is 12 feet each shelf across. Right? So, anyway, all these books, and I'm not done yet. I got, like, these totes. I've got some totes laying around. I mean, most of them are up, but I got a, a kind of a wall of totes over there that I need to put some things away, and I have room on my shelves. I mean, it was huge. So, I know it doesn't look like that many books, does it, Micah? When you're looking online, it looks like, ah, he doesn't have that many books. Oh, I got a lot of books. That's the Metropolitan Tabernacle right there. That's Spurgeon's Metropolitan Tabernacle. 75 volumes right there. 70. That's Spurgeon's Encyclopedia of Sermons. That's kind of Spurgeon's Sunday School. Those are the lost sermons of Charles Spurgeon. Um, let's see. That right there is is 500 sermons by DeWitt Talmadge. That right there is the pulpit commentary. That right there is Alexander McLaren's commentary. That right there is Lange's commentary. That right there is a commentary series by J. Frank Norris. And uh, let's see. And that right there is... That is uh, Charles Simeon. Those are sermon outlines by Charles Simeon. That is the works of Richard Baxter. Baxter. Okay. So, anyway. Not that you really cared to know all that, but I just thought I'd tell you because it was cool, right? So, And on this side, we have the works of Thomas Boston right here. See this? Thomas Boston. Trap. John Trap. This is another Thomas. I think it might be Brooks, but I can't remember. They're all named Thomas. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, that's the works of Knox. That's what Luther says. That's Barnes's notes. That's something about a Scottish revival. That's the works of Warfield. That's Hawker, the poor man's commentary. Right there. Anyway. So, just imagine this, because this right here, there is literally there's literally 12 feet of books on each shelf, double-sided. I bought an extra 8 feet that I'm going to sell, probably, because I just don't think I'm going to have room for it here. I don't really need it. We'll see. Anyway, wow. So praise the Lord. When I look in here, I don't see like a mess. Besides some things I got to straighten out and put away. And that's very comforting, I must tell you. There's a lot of books here. So, that's what we did on Saturday. Besides me talking to Pastor Jeffrey for two hours on the phone, because I just couldn't get off, we just kept talking. And sometimes, yeah, it just, we hadn't talked for a while, and we just kept talking about everything. 
Of course I beat him, Teresa. Of course. Of course. Of course. Anyway. What do we have here? Ed Stetzer. That guy's gay. All right. Oh, this is on Ash Wednesday. This is pretty good. Anyway, so you pray for us. We're getting everything organized for Canada. Everybody's got their passports. Everybody's got everything they need from that standpoint. I got to start booking up Pennsylvania. I got to start booking up where I'm staying at Pennsylvania. I got to start booking up where I'm staying at New England. Okay. So I got to get that, that going. So, you pray for us that we get all that taken care of, all right? I look forward to getting that done. Get moving on here. Uh, So, looking forward to all that the Lord has for us. Brother, pray for Brother Andrew as he continues the the work on the Colosseum. Okay? All right. Shouldn't be pulled up. My wife said she's pulling up two different Coliseum or two different uh, broadcasts. I'm like, what are you talking about? All right. Anyway, let's go. Let's get started here. Hope you're all doing good, by the way. Ashwin. Let's start with a little, actually, we're going to start with the scriptures here, and I'm going to show you something. So you might ask the question, for a religious purpose, in this sense, we could see in the Bible that there are days, you know, we celebrate in America something called Thanksgiving, right? Um... Do you have to? No, of course not. You shut up, Siri, right now. Go away. Go suck an egg. Anyway. um, So. But we don't have any mandated days, right? Like that. And. In the Bible, we can see days of being thankful, you know, of of being thankful to God and whatever like that. I don't see anything bad about that. But the Pope's plan days, which this is all Roman Catholicism. If you ask me, can you show me Lent in the Bible? I can show you Lent in... No, never mind. Uh, I could... <laughs> I can't show you that. Right? But... Can I show you Lent in the Bible? No. 
Can I show you Ash Wednesday in the Bible? No. I can show you pagan things that are similar. Then he brought me to the door of the gate in Ezekiel 8. It says, then he brought me to the door of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz. So these women were there weeping for Tammuz. The false god. So, what we come to understand is 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received, with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth, for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if he receive with thanksgiving. Hey, Andrea, to forward that to her is $29.99. Okay? $29.99. Okay. So are there, so none of that is biblical. Lent is not biblical fasting. It's not what the Bible talks about fasting. There is no commanded fasting from the church. And I say your local New Testament church. God doesn't command fasting days. You certainly can, and it's certainly good. There, it's certainly good for a church. You know, if we, we've done that before in the past where we've had things that we are preparing to do and we asked everyone if they would like to fast, you know, for a day that we could pray. There's a time that a husband and wife may fast from the marriage bed and agreed upon time, but not to be too long that Satan not tempt you for your incontinencies. Right? So there are those times of fasting from certain pleasures and things of that nature. There's nothing sinful or wrong about that. See. 
show you something here quickly about Ash Wednesday. It's an ancient Nordic pagan religion. Ashes were placed above the brow to ensure the protection of the Norse god, Norse god Odin or Woden's Day, which is Wednesday, Woden's Day. The practice spread to Europe during the Viking conquest. It also appears that this ritual was done on a Wednesday, the day named for Odin's Day, Woden's Day. But it's also Hindu. You'll see that there are pagan practices of this Ash Wednesday. And in Hinduism, you know, why is it all their so-called holy days that people get become a part of or practice Always have to do with pagans. It's never a holy day that we see in the scriptures in that sense, in the Old Testament days, but it's always paganism. Right? In Hinduism is sacred ash made of burnt dry wood, burnt cow dung, and or cremated bodies used in agamic rituals. Devotees of Shiva, devotees of Shiva apply vibhuti tra- traditionally as three horizontal lines across the forehead, also known as the tripundra, and other parts of the body. According to Shiva Purana, the particles of ash which cling to the skin when trip Tripundra is applied are to be considered to be individual lingam, lingams. The scriptures, that's theirs, the Hindu, further state the basma purifies the soul and elevates the devotee of Shiva to that works done without wearing bahasma and fruitless, are fruitless. There are various methods for the application of ashes. So the Hindus are using ashes on their forehead. So it's Hindu, it's Viking. What do you notice here? It's Mystery Babylon. They got it from Babylon. And that's why they do it. We hear in history things called the Church Fathers. Well, let's be clear. The only Church Fathers that had any authority are the Apostles. Okay? Those that come after, if they do something right and we highlight it, great. If they do something wrong and we highlight it, great. But you have to understand that the authority is the scriptures, not the traditions of men. If I see in Baptist history men that did things wrong, I say it was wrong. If I see things in Baptist history uh, where they do something by tradition, but you don't have to, but it's not sinful, then that's okay. I'll just say that was their tradition. That was what they agreed upon. But it it's not necessary. 
right? So let's go to Strong's McClintock. And I, I, in this broadcast, I've stated that I'm going to take you to the history. Now, these guys are going to be more Protestant-leaning Catholic-type people in a lot of ways in their history. But that's okay. Because all of this ties into Mardi Gras, all of this ties into Ash Wednesday and Lent, and all of it ties into paganism and Roman Catholicism's merger with Constantine's religion. That's what it all comes down to. When Christianity changed as a whole, those changed and became Constantine. Tinyan religion. Right? Right. Okay. So here we go. Hey, it's two, three, four. Isn't that cool? Anyway, it doesn't matter. All right. Why does it always come back to Constantine? Look, I, all of a sudden I say Constantine. And Jody Hammond appears. Now, let's look at the history here. And I need to not use my voice too loudly. Ash Wednesday. The first day of Lent. No, that's not the Lent that's in your belly button. That's Lent. This is Lent. Not Lent. Lent is in your belly button. Lent is what they practice when they fast. Okay. That's straight. The first day of Lent. It is so called from the custom observed in the ancient church of penitence. Expressing their humiliation at this time by appearing in sackcloth and ashes. But it is not certain that this was always done precisely on Ash Wednesday, there being a perfect silence in the most ancient writers about it. The discipline used towards penitence, pent, penitence, that's those that are repentant, in Lent, as described by Gratian, differed from their treatment at other times, for on Ash Wednesday they were presented to the bishop, clothed in sackcloth and barefooted, then the seven penitential psalms were sung, after which the bishop laid his hands on them, sprinkled them with holy water, and poured ashes upon their heads, declaring to them that as Adam was cast out of paradise, so they for their sins were cast out of the church. Okay, let's stop there for a second. Okay, and let's say this. They say the early church. Well, the early church is in the New Testament. The ancient church is in the New Testament. And I assure you that you will go from cover to cover and you will never find uh, the Apostle Paul nor the others stripping down in sackcloth and ashes outside of the temple or anywhere else in doing that. It is not in there. Okay. 
The apostles were preaching the word of God, calling men to repentance. Jesus had died for their sins, was buried, and rose again from the dead. They had no reason to cover in sackcloth and ashes and observe Old Testament rites. Okay. In the end, then the inferior ministers expelled them out the doors of the church. In the end of Lent, that's Lent, not Lent, like it's found in your belly button, but Lent. On the Thursday, before Easter, they were again presented for reconciliation by the deacons and presbyters at the gates of the church. But this method of treating penitents in Lent carries with it marks of a more modern practice, for there was no use of the holy water in the ancient discipline, nor seven penitential psalms in their service, but only one. Visualize the, fir- the 51st. Neither was Ash Wednesday anciently the first day of Lent, till Gregory the Great first added it to Lent to make the number of fasting days completely 40, which before were but 36. Six times six is 36 because they're all pagans. Thank you. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Nowhere in the Bible does it give anyone the authority to place on believers extra biblical things that are not there, make them ceremonial, and make them be obedient to those things. The only thing a church is to observe are the ordinances, which there are two. Okay? Paul said, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Those are the ordinances. What are they? Believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. They are not given to believers. They are given to the church. The local New Testament church, a called-out assembly of baptized believers. Organized according to the New Testament. They are given the ordinances. There's a, there are offices, there are ordinances. There's authority and there's functions of the body. But what Roman Catholicism does is teaches something contrary to that. I've heard people say, well, can I just observe the Lord's Supper in my living room with some orange juice and, like, pizza? No. Because Paul is speaking to churches. The epistles are written to churches. They're not written to a universal, invisible nothing. That's not how it works. 
Only in YouTube land and internet land and the Google's land do people think that. Okay. So Gregory the Great, Mr. Pope, first added it to Lent to make the number of fasting days completely 40, which before were just 36. Nor does it appear that anciently the time of imposing penance was confined to the beginning of Lent, but was granted at all times whenever the bishop thought the penitent qualified for it. So in other words, you Lent is going to a priest and getting absolved of your sins. Do you get it? It's part of a ritual or ceremony that is post-biblical, right? Okay. What it is. Which I will show you, my good friends, today that what it is is paganism, heathenism. Okay? Has nothing to do with the Bible. And by the way, the Bible says very clearly, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The atonement secured forgiveness of sins. Death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not me, not you, not some pope, not some priest. Christ. He secured it. I don't know who Susan Heck is, but what are you listening to her for anyway? (laughs) The Iceman cooketh. Who in the world is that? Okay, so, continuing on, my good friends. So, some dude got together and said, hey, since I'm the Pope and all, and I rule over everybody, I think I'll just make this mandatory for everybody in the world. Neither was Ash Wednesday, anciently the first day of Lent, till Gregory the Great first added to the Lent to make the number of the fasting days completely 40, which before were but 36. Nor does it appear that anciently the time of imposing penance was confined to the beginning of Lent, but was granted at all times. After giving themselves up to, in Rome, the spectacle on this occasion is most ridiculous. After giving themselves up to all kinds of gaiety, what? Do your church know? Do your church know you gay? What? 
Right? That means parting, actually, is what that means. But in Rome's case, it could probably mean a little more than parting because we know they're a little bit funny, those. Anyway. After giving themselves to all kinds of gaiety and licentiousness during the carnival, which we'll get to, we'll show you what the carnival is. Okay. Then they, till 12 o'clock on Fat Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, how dare you call it Fat Tuesday? That's what it's called, Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday, Ash Woden's Day. Fat Tuesday. Big Fat Fatty Tuesday. Okay. Right. Till 12 o'clock on Fat Tuesday night, the people go on Ash Wednesday. So what they do is they get big fat fatty partying. Right? Drink all the booze. Sleep with all the whores. Let's stop right there and go to the carnival, shall we? Nope, nope, not that carnival. This carnival. What is the carnival? Well, so, first, they had a carnival. We call it Mardi Gras today. I don't call it anything but putrid, sick, disgusting, pagan idolatry and witchcraft and perversion and a bunch of sex perverts but that's what they were then too anyway this article is about the christian festival before lent again lent not lent lent is found in your belly button lent is supposed to be a fast and it's not a fast from lent that is found in your belly button actually supposed to be some kind of religious festival and the reason they have this religious festival is because they partied like it was 1999 I guess if you remember what Prince said about that which was 666 backwards right wasn't it wasn't that something that's one for Carlos Montoya now so Prince said he partied like it was 1999, and that's what these guys did. Carnival, or Shrovetide, is a Christian festive season that occurs before Lent, consisting of Wingagasma, or Shrove Sunday, or Shrove Monday, or Shrove Tuesday, or Mardi Gras. Carnival typically involves public celebrations, including events such as parades, public street parties, and other entertainments, combining some elements of a circus. You mean like most churches on Sunday morning in America? Right. Elaborate costumes and masks allow people to set aside their everyday individuality and express a heightened sense of social unity. In other words, they put masks on and dress like a bunch of perverts. So no one sees them dressed like a bunch of perverts and knows what they are. Got it?
Elaborate costumes and masks allow people to set aside their everyday individuality and experience a heightened sense of social unity. Participants often indulge in excessive consumption of alcohol, meat, and other food that will be foregone during coming upcoming Lent. Well, that sounds like the Super Bowl. So in other words, basically, they have that time of Lent because they've been partying, debauched, drinking, smoking dope, fornicating, whoring around, having orgies. And then they lay off everything. And then they fast from all that stuff. Am I making sense to you here? You could peace. Caprende, you understand what I'm saying? Huh? That's what they do. That's what it's all about. This is all connected. Elaborate costumes and masks allow people to set aside. Participants often involved in excessive consumption of alcohol. Traditionally, buttermilk and other animal products were not consumed excessively. Rather, their stock was fully consumed during Shrovetide as to reduce the waste. This festival is known for being a time of great indulgence before Lent, which is a time of stressing the opposite. For example, pancakes, donuts, and other desserts are prepared and eaten for a final time. This is making me hungry! I just want a donut now. During Lent, lacticinia and animal products are eaten less, and individuals make a Lenten sacrifice, thus giving up a certain object or activity or desire. As such, during the season of Shrovetide, it is customary for Christians to ponder what Lenten sacrifices they will make for the coming Lent. The traditions of carrying Shrovetide rods and consuming Shrovetide buns after attending church are celebrated. On the final day of the season, Shrove Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, Many traditional Christians, such as Lutherans, Anglicans, and Romans, and Catholics, make a special point of self-examination, of considering what wrongs they need to be repent, and what amendments of life or areas of spiritual growth they especially need to ask God help with dealing. Right? Well, what is this? It's pagan. Churches burn their pa- these palms to make the ashes used during the services held on the the very next day, Ash Wednesday. The term carnival is traditionally used in areas with a large Catholic presence. Oh, really? Huh. Sure, that makes sense. Seeing how it's all Catholic. I remember, we're talking about the carnival right now. We're going to get into talking about Lent and everything. We're, we're going to get a little more specific, okay? The celebration is known as Fastleven in historical evangelical Lutheran countries. It's called Shrovetide in areas with high concentration of Anglicans and Slavic Eastern Orthodox nations. As Lenticia is celebrated during the last week before the Great Lent. 
German-speaking Europe and Netherlands, the carnival season traditionally opens on 11-11. This dates back to the celebration before the Advent season or with harvest celebrations of St. Martin's Day. Whoa, you make beans and cornbread. She made beans and cornbread. And you made ham and beans. That's awesome. That's what Carl needs is some ham and beans. The word carnival is of a Christian origin. They mean Catholic. When you see that in things like this, it's Catholic. The Latin-derived name of the holiday is sometimes also spelled Carnival, typically in areas where Dutch, French, Spanish, Portuguese are spoken. Carnival, in Italian-speaking contexts, are alternative names are used for region. Okay, that lat that that uh, Lent means uh, it means to remove the meat. Well, to the meat. Farewell to the meat. No way, man. Other scholars argue that the origin of the word is common meat-based country beast Latin carnulia. Basically, it's heathen as all get out. They partied. Look what happened in the Middle Ages. In the Middle Ages, carnival referred to a period following epiphany season that reached a climax before midnight on Shrove Tuesday. British historian John Bossy, in writing on the origin of the practice during the carnival, states that these were, despite some appearances, Christian in character, and they were medieval in origin. Although it has been widely supposed that they continued some kind of pre-Christian cult, there is, no, there, is no, there is, in fact, no evidence that they existed much before 1200. Because Lent was a period of fasting, carnival therefore represent a last period of feasting and celebration before the spiritual rigors. Right? There you go. Traditionally, a carnival feast was the last opportunity for common people to eat well, and there was typically a food shortage. Traditionally, the feast also was a time to indulge in sexual desires, which were supposed to be suppressed during the following period fasting. Before Lent began, all rich food and drink were consumed in what became a giant celebration that involved the whole community and thought to be the origin of the carnival. In many Christian sermons and texts, the example of a vessel used to explain Christian doctrine, the nave of the Church of Baptism, the ship of Mary. What is it? It's all Roman Catholic paganism. That's what Mardi Gras is. You look at Mardi Gras, it's a bunch of it's a bunch of heathens running around. What it is. That's what the carnival is. So so when you connect the carnival, Pope Gregory the Great decided the fasting would start on Ash Wednesday. The whole carnival event was set before the fasting to set a clear division. So in other words, the popes invented it. 
and they invent it to coincide with pagan holidays. Pagan high days. That's what they do. So you see that through the Middle Ages, the Middle Age pageants and festivals, church sanctioned. The carnival was also a manifestation of medieval folk culture. They mix paganism in with their version of Christianity. Okay? That's what they did. That's where it comes from. That's where the carnival comes from. That's where Mardi Gras comes from. We'll get into actual Lent a little bit here. But just the history channel here, just some things. Mardi Gras is a Christian holiday. Really? Do you think Baptist Christians are a part of that nonsense? Bible-believing Christians. No, that would be Roman Catholic cults. That's who's a part of that. Roman Catholic cults. Mardi Gras is a Christian holiday and popular cultural phenomenon that dates back thousands of years to pagan spring and fertility rites. They're correct. Also known as Carnival or Carnival, it's celebrated in many countries around the world, mainly those with large Roman Catholic populations. On the day before the religious season of Lent begins, Brazil, Venice, and New Orleans play host to some of the holiday's most famous public festivities, drawing thousands of tourists and revelers every year. Mardi Gras is traditionally celebrated on Fat Tuesday, the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday, and the start of Lent. In many areas, however, Mardi Gras has evolved into a week-long festival. It dates back thousands of years to pagan celebrations of spring and fertility, including the raucous Roman festivals of Saturnalia and Lupercalia. Okay? Saturnalia. That's the Pope. He's Saturn, isn't he? He's just like him. Saturnalia, held in mid-December, is an ancient Roman pagan festival honoring the agricultural god Saturn. Because of when the holiday occurred near the winter solstice, Saturnalia celebrations are the source of many of the traditions we now associate with Christmas, such as wreaths, candles, feasting, and gift-giving. Huh. Saturnalia, the most popular holiday on the ancient Roman calendar, derived from older farming-related rituals of midwinter. In the English countryside, 
to this day, no one has been able The pagan to celebration of Saturn, the Roman god of agriculture and time, began as a single day. But by the late Republic, it had expanded to a week-long festival beginning December 17th on the Julian calendar, which the Romans used at that time. The winter solstice fell on, you guessed it, December 25th. The people who built Stonehenge must have been doing so Wait. for purposes that seemed very, very Preacher, important you, to them at the time. It was you trying to tell me that pagan? Undertaking. Merry Christmas, Preacher! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas. The wheel has to have been an unbelievably difficult uh, undertaking. Right? Stonehenge has been called everything from a Neolithic hospital to an alien landing site, a solar temple. Merry Christmas. To a druid shrine. The pagan celebration of Saturn, the Roman god. Our prehistory and what defines of agriculture and time began as a single day, but the late Republic. So everything that we understand about it. It was expanded, right? From archaeology, from what we can. During Saturnalia, work and business came to a halt. Schools and courts of law closed. And normal social patterns were suspended. People decorated their homes with wreaths and other greenery. There you go. Gambling, singing, playing, music, socializing. Yep. And of course, Lupercalia was an ancient pagan festival held each year in Rome on February 15th. What? Although Valentine's Day shares its name with a martyred Christian saint, some historians believe the holiday is actually an offshoot of Lupercalia. You don't say. Really? 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 Do your church know you gay? Lupercalia was a bloody, violent, and sexually charged celebration awash with animal sacrifice, random matchmaking, and coupling in hopes of warding off evil spirits and infertility. Really? Yep. Really? That's why I don't celebrate Valentine's Day. Look, I don't need an excuse to buy my wife anything. I don't need a forced reason to buy her anything. And she doesn't, and I don't need a forced reason to be romantic with my wife. I assure you with eight children, we have no problem being romantic with each other. It is not a problem. <laughs> I do not need their help. 
<laughs> oh, all right. Hold on. That was funny. <laughs> oh. All right. I'm going <laughs> to Okay. Oh, that's funny right there. That's funny right there, man. <laughs> oh. Anyway, so Lupercalia was a bloody, violent, and sexually charged celebration. Why are we going through this? Why do we have to talk about this? Because they're perverts. And the whole thing is perverted paganism. Valentine's Day. But we do know it contains vestiges of the early Christian church in ancient Rome. The association between mid-February and... Everything is perverted paganism. ...festival known as Lupercalia, likely honoring either Lupa, the she-wolf of Rome, who suckled Romulus and Remus, or Faunus, their god of fertility. Okay, that's what it is. Sacrifice. Then the ritualistic slapping of young women with strips of the animal's skin and blood to bestow for... And people think they got to do this stuff for some reason. That's just weird. Like, why do you think you have to do this? Alright. Anyway. So that was Saturnalia. Was by far the jolliest Roman holiday. The Roman poet Catullus famously described it as the best of times. So riotous were the festivities that the Roman author Pliny reportedly built a soundproof room so that he could do work, so he could work during the Rosh celebrations. Wow. So Pliny said it was so bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Got it. Did it shut off? Thanks for letting me know. It automatically played. It must be a Windows thing. Hopefully it's off now. Sorry about that, good man. Thank you. So anyway, I should leave these on just in case. There. It must be a Windows thing. That's what it must be. Okay. All right. Where were we before I so rudely interrupted myself? That's where I am.
Okay. So that's Mardi Gras, right? That what is it all connected to? Festivals. It's connected to Saturnalia. That's what Lent is connected to, right? So now we're going to read a little bit about Lent here from a historical point of view. Okay? I'm getting secret hidden messages here. Hang on a second. Okay. Joey B's rumble is still down. Okay. All right, then. Back to the heathen origins. I apologize. Lent, the 40 days fast, is the preparation for Easter in the Western, Eastern, and Lutheran churches and in the Church of England. It was instituted at a very early age of Christianity. In most languages, the name given to this fast signifies the number of days, 40, but our word Lent signifies the sparing fast, or Lenten tide. Lenten tide in the Anglo-Saxon language was the season of spring in German Lens. It is observed in commemoration of our Lord's fast in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. Here's what they say. And although he did not impose it on the world by an express commandment, yet he showed plainly enough by his example that fasting, which God had so frequently ordered in the old covenant, was also to be practiced by the children of the new. Stop. If he wanted you to do it for 40 days like that, he would have instituted it for 40 days like that. If God wanted annual festivals and annual fastings and annual and all these different things annually to be done that way, he would have instituted it. He would have told you. But he didn't. Right? That's important to note. The observance of Lent was doubtlessly, doubtless strong, confirmed by those of the Redeemer in answer to the disciples of John the Baptist. Yet the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, but the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. They shall fast. Then shall they fast. Hence we find in the Acts of the Apostles and the disciples after the foundation of the church applied themselves to fasting in their epistles. Also, they recommended it to the faithful. The primitive Christians seem to have considered Christ in the above-mentioned passages as alluding to the institution of a particular season of fasting and prayer in, this future, in his future church. It was therefore only natural that they should have made this period of penance consist of 40 days 
seeing that our divine master had consecrated that number by his own fast. And before him, Moses and Elijah had done the same. He's even deduced from the 40 years staying of the Israelites in the desert. Now, here's the thing. Nowhere did Jesus institute this in the New Testament. The apostles did a lot of things that I can't do. Jesus did a lot of things that I can't do and that he never commanded me to do, right? The apostle Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles, who gives the instructions to the local New Testament church in how they're to operate themselves, how they're to conduct themselves, Okay? And it's it's never mentioned. Paul never mentions it. In fact, we know that ceremonial days and things of that nature were done in the Old Testament. We don't see those same things in the New Testament. Why? Because many of those Old Testament things were pictures of Christ. They were pictures of what Christ would do. They were types and emblems and ceremonies and symbols of what Christ would come to do. When you see people start to emphasize ceremonies and high days and everything else like that, they're mostly dragging you back to the Old Testament. By the way, that was what Augustine said in his sermon. What I just read part of that to you. Next, we go into the practice of the early church. This is their history. Now, Strong's McClintock is a great set. It's got a lot of history in it. It's not always accurate. The recording of their facts is accurate. Their religious take on it is not always correct, obviously. The practice of the early church. In the age immediately succeeding that of the apostles, it did not appear that much value was attached to the practice of fasting. In the shepherd of Hermes, it, it is spoken of in a disparaging terms. Very little notice was taken of fasting by the writers of the first centuries, which may be accounted for from the discouraging influence of the doctrines of Montanus, the tenets of the new Platonic school, and the progress of Gnosticism. Hence, it seems that the observance of fasts was introduced into the church slowly and by degrees. We learn from Justin Martyr that fasting was joined with prayer at Ephesus in the administration of baptism, which is worthy of being noted as an early addition to the original institution. Now, hey, if your church wants to get together and agree to fast before they baptize converts, there ain't nothing wrong with that. But to ceremonially put something together that is like 
this has to be done in order to be right with God. And then to add in the pagan elements of it is wicked. You know, the the pagan elements. Okay. In the second century, in the times of Victor and Irenaeus, it has become usual to fast before Easter, yet it consisted not in a single fast, but rather in a series of solemnities, which were deemed worthy of celebration. It was therefore the custom of several congregations to prepare themselves by mortification and fasting, inaugurate on the afternoon of the day on which they commemorated the crucifixion. And it was continued until the morning of the anniversary of the resurrection. The whole interval would thus be only about 40 hours. Clement of Alexandria speaks of weekly fast. Tertullian, in his treatise De Genio, complains bitterly of the little attention paid by the church to the practice of fasting. By which we may see that even Orthodox Christians exercise in this matter the liberty of judgment which had been sanctioned by the apostles. Right. It is up to the individual believers to decide when they will fast. So of course, they can do it as a church. They all agree, but not everybody may, maybe not everybody is, will be able to fast that day. Okay. It's voluntary. It's not forced. And it isn't observing Lent in order to get forgiveness of sins. It those Lent is a is a works based salvation. It is ceremonial salvation. It is works based salvation. It is it is truly not recognizing our Lord Jesus Christ and his and his completed sacrifice on Calvary. What he did for me, how he died for my sins. And he was buried and he rose again from the dead. And he and I am completely justified by Christ alone. Amen. Amen and amen and amen. So that's a that's a problem. And that's a Roman Catholic problem. And that's a Protestant ceremonial problem. It's actually excuse me, very common. Very common. Tertullian in his treatise, right, he said that. uh, Let's see. Origen adverts to this subject only once at his 10th homily on Leviticus, where he speaks in accordance with the apostolic doctrine. It appears, however, from his observations that at Alexandria, Wednesday and Fridays, were then observed as fast days on the ground that our Lord was betrayed on Wednesday and crucified on Friday. That is a lie. He was not crucified on Friday. Crucified either on Great Wednesday or Great Thursday, but certainly not Friday. Good Friday is a Roman Catholic joke. Smashing! The custom of the church at the end of the 4th century may be seen from the passage of Epiphanius 
in the whole Christian church, the following fast days throughout a year are regularly observed. On Wednesdays and Fridays, we fast until the ninth hour. But even in, at the comparatively late date, there was no universal agreement in the practice of the church in this matter. Neither had fast been established by law. Only later was the number of days, namely 40, fixed according to the Greek and Latin names. But for a long time, the Oriental and Occidental churches differed. As the former did not permit its members to fast on the Sabbath, their fast continued one week longer. The custom so far, as it existed, had been silently introduced into the church and its observance was altogether voluntary at first. Thus, fasting consisted in absence from food until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but a later period of custom was introduced, probably by the Montanists, affecting the kind of food to be taken, which was limited to bread, salt, and water. Some, however, Some, however, who had become subject to the rules of the church tried to compensate themselves for their privation during the fast by banqueting on the days preceding them. Others adhered literally to the rules of fasting by avoiding strictly the prohibited food, but prepared from that which was permitted costly dainties. The fathers and teachers of the church of this period, as Chrysostom, Augustine, Maximus of Turin, Caesarius of Ares, spoke often against the hypocritical fastings and showed that abstinence would then only be of service when avoidance of sinful habits as well as contrition of heart was connected with it. Their general design then of the primitive church in fasting 40 days, we may give in the words of Chrysostom. He said this, Many therefore were used to come to the communion indevoutly and inconsiderately, especially in that time when Christ first gave it to his disciples. Therefore, our forefathers, considering the mischief arising from such careless approaches, meeting together appointed 40 days for fasting and prayer and hearing sermons and for holy assemblies, that all men in these days, being carefully purified by prayer and alms deeds and fasting and watchings and tears and confessions of sins and other like exercises, might come according to their capacity with a pure conscience to the holy table. The rule of fasting for Lent varied greatly. It was usually to abstain from food altogether until the evening, change of diet not being accounted sufficient. St. Ambrose exhorts men, the food when taken was to be the simplest and least delicate kind, animal food and wine being abstained from food, abstained from being prohibited. Speaks of those who for two days abstained from food and others who refused, not the wine and oil. But every other dish and throughout Lent partook of bread and water only. The Eastern Church at the present day observed the most strict rule of fasting. Wine and oil are allowed on Saturdays and Sundays, but even these days are only partially accepted from the restrictions of Lent. The discipline of the Holy Week is exceedingly rigorous. During Lent, corporal punishment was forbidden by the laws of Theodosius the Great. Public games and celebration of birthdays and marriages were also interdicted. It was a special time for preparing catechumens for baptism. And most of St. Cyril's catechism, catechism 
Lectures were delivered during Lent. St. Chrysostom celebrated homilies on the statutes were preaching during the season. Daily instruction formed a part of the service, and Holy Communion was celebrated at least every Lord's Day. The last week, the Holy of Great Week was kept with still great strictness and solemnity. Okay, so we're moving forward with this history, right? And we're going to eventually, if we get that far today, which I, I think we will, right? I think we'll get that far. But if we don't, we can always pick it up on Wednesday, can't we? That's not Fat Wednesday or Woden's Day. Okay. We're continuing with this history. I think it's important to understand the history of these things, right? Because then you figure out where they actually came from. Like, where does this come from? Why do people do this? I believe in being a good student of history. Number one, a good student of the Word of God as a Christian. But number two, a good student of history. I think it's very profitable to understand these things. And then you can look at people and you can chuck out their traditions of men. Right? Wednesday. It's not Woden's Day. It's Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay. Now we move on to the practice of the latter times. The later times. Fasting after a time ceased to be voluntary exercise. So here's where... Here's where it starts getting strict. Here's where the popes and the mother church exerts its power, exerts its authority over people. Where mother church decides and the popes decide and councils decide what you're going to believe. I want you to understand something very clear. Councils did not decide your Bible. Scriptures were long ago canonized by the churches. And councils came in afterwards and did things. But the Waldenses, since about A.D. 130, the Vaudois were using their Syrian-translated Bible from Antioch into Latin, or into the Italian Biblia, all the way back in 130. So John had been dead for 30 years, the Apostle John. Let me be clear. I don't give a rat's rear end about what a council says I should do. 
So you have all these people wandering around putting ashes on their head like a bunch of heathen pagans. Running around observing things. Mixing it with Bible and not very good at Bible, really just mixing it with the traditions of men. Because there is no Bible for it. They have zero Bible for Ash Wednesday. They have zero Bible for Lent. Okay, I'll give you an example. If you're exegesis or if your explanation of Scripture... It's like what Rome does and other people do like that. Then you could do it. For instance. Well. Satan took up Jesus. Up to the temple. Up to the pinnacle of the temple. So because of that. I could go on a magic carpet ride with G with. with I can go on a magic carpet ride with Satan too. Well, that's stupid. That was a specific temptation for Christ. Well, since Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, then it wouldn't be weird if Satan took me up into the heavens and showed me all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And since Jesus was tempted 40 days in the wilderness. I too should go be tempted for 40 days by Satan in the wilderness. There is nothing about that that makes any biblical sense. There are no instructions in the Bible for me to try to repeat things that I couldn't possibly do. Is there a principle of biblical fasting? Absolutely. Is it a 40-day fast? No. Not at all. So now we come to the latter times here, the later times. Fasting after a time ceased to be a voluntary exercise by the second canon of the Council of Orleans, AD 541. Isn't that something? The Council of Orleans and then New Orleans has Mardi Gras. And like, there are a bunch of pagan perverts running around, heathens running around being perverted like Rome. Well, that's weird. Huh. Okay, in AD 541, it was decreed that anyone who should neglect to observe the state stated times of abstinence should be treated as an offender against the laws of the church. The 8th Council of Toledo in the 7th century, Canon 9, condemns anyone who should eat flesh during the fast before Easter and says that such offenders should be forbidden the use of it throughout the year. In the 8th century, fasting began to be regarded as a meritorious work 
and the breach of the observance as the stated times subjected the offender to excommunication. So in other words, my good man, if you do not fast and observe Lent, we will excommunicate you from the church. You'll be excommunicated from Holy Mother Church, and you will be kicked out, and you will be damned to hell for all of eternity. Thus saith the pontiff of A.D. 541 from the Council of Orleans to the Council of Toledo in the 7th century, canon number 9. And all of that is about as much value as toilet paper is to someone who needs to wipe their rear end. In the 8th century, fasting began to be regarded as emeritus work. In latter times, some persons who ate flesh during Lent were punished with the loss of their teeth. Yes, my good man, we shall knock your teeth out. Ah, I see, you've been eating... You've been eating burgers. What? You've been eating steak? So they knock their teeth out. What? Yes. They knocked their teeth out for not observing Lent. After these severities were to a great extent relaxed, instead of the former limitation of diet on fast days to bread, salt, and water, permission was given for the use of all kinds of food except flesh, eggs, cheese, and wine. Then eggs, cheese, and wine were allowed, flesh only being prohibited and indulgence which was censured by the Greek church and led to a quarrel between it and the Latin. In the 13th century of a cold collation in the event, evening of fast days was permitted. So I shall knock your teeth out of your mouth. Right. Bread and salt and water for you. Eggs and cheese and wine are now allowed. Why? Because he waved his magic wand and he said so. By what authority did he these things? By his own satanic authority. The councils of the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Latin Church, all of them the revived Latin Roman Empire, all of them heathens by heart, all of them with a control scheme, all of them designed to control you. Listen, I'm going to tell you something right now. I preach the gospel. I preach on living for God. I preach the the roles of the sexes as a pastor. But at the end of the day, I can't force you to do anything. I've heard of pastors preaching on on, um, domestic discipline actually believe that they could spank their wife to correct her. Right? That's a terrible thing. 
By the way, these same pastors don't believe in repentance. They don't preach biblical repentance. They preach weird doctrines like kingdom exclusion, like God's going to cast his children out into outer darkness for a thousand years. They're going to go to like a Baptist purgatory. Where'd they get that from? From their own vain brain. Because if you don't believe in repentance and you don't believe in the power of the Holy Ghost to lead men's lives, then you'll do a lot of things. You'll, you'll have to force by fear. People say that's what we do when we preach on hell. No, I just tell you what God's going to do to you. I ain't going to do nothing to you. Now, if you're in a, a member of Old Paz Baptist Church and you're living in open sin, then you'll have to, we have to hold you accountable as a church because you can't live in sin. The Bible says that. And 1 Corinthians 5 tells us what we're to do. But you know what? I can't be the Holy Ghost in people's lives. I have to preach the word. I have to pray for people. I have to expect them to live for God. And I have to pray that God deals with their hearts if they don't want to. They got to be broken before God. That has to, and it's the Lord that does that. All of this is, is, this is real legalism. That's what this is. This is real legalism right here. That's exactly what it is. It it is. It's it's But see at the end like like I said, I mean I'll preach against any sin and I'll I'll preach against all those things. And if women or men don't want to live right, they ain't going to like my message because I'm going to keep preaching the Bible. I'm not going to stop preaching it. But I can't force spirituality on anyone. It's the Lord's work. And they have to submit to the Lord. The following are the fasts which generally obtained in the church. The annual fast of 40 days before Easter or the season of Lent. The duration of this fast at first was only 40 hours. By the time Gregory the Great in the 8th century, it had extended to 36 days. It had been so accepted by the Council of Nicaea, Nicaea, but by Gregory the Great or by... Gregory II, it was extended to 40 days, the duration of the recorded fasts of Moses and Elijah and our blessed Savior. Hence the term quadragesima, which has already been used to denote this period, became strictly applicable. Socrates, Basil the Great, Ambrosia, Leo the Great, speak of this quadragesimal fast.
fast as a divine institution, but this can mean no more than that the fast was observed in imitation of the example of the divine redeemer. There were quarterly fasts, no traces of which occurred before the 5th century, although Bellarmine says that the first three of these fasts were instituted in the times of the apostles. And the last of Pope Calixtus. A fast of three days before the festival of the Ascension, introduced by Memricus, Bishop of Vienna, in the middle of the 5th century. In some places, it was not celebrated until after Whitsuntide. 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 It was called Jemima. No, I'm just kidding. It was called... Whatever it is. <laughs> it's Jemima. What? Do your church know? On account of certain litanies sung on those days. Okay, anyway. Monthly fast. A fast day in every month, except July and August. Number five. Fast before festivals in the place of the ancient vigils, which were abolished in the 5th century. Weekly fasts. On Wednesdays and Fridays, entitled Station, Stationies from the Practice of Soldiers Keeping Guard, which was called Statio by the Romans. Tertullian. These fasts were not so strictly observed as some others and were altogether omitted between Easter and Whitsuntide. Whitsuntide! The, the observance was enjoyed, especially upon the clergy and monks. At the Council of Elvira, not to be confused with that one group that's saying Elvira, my heart's on fire, Elvira. That's a different count. This is, this. At the beginning of the 4th century, Saturday was added to the weekly fast, and this led to the gradual neglect of the Wednesday fast in the Western Church. Stations or fasts on stationary days terminated at 3 o'clock p.m. Hence, Tertullian called them half-fasts. When a fast was continued the whole day, it was entitled Jejuium, or Aunt Jemima, like I call it. And when it lasted until the morning of the following day or for several days together, it was distinguished by the title Superpositio. Well, now, don't say it. The latter kind of fast was commonly observed during the great week or week before Easter, but it was not strictly peculiar to that season. It exceeded the others not only in point of time, but by the observance of additional austerities, such as the, or living on dry food, namely bread, salt, water, taken only in the evening. There was also occasional fasts, appointed by the ecclesiastical authorities in times of great danger, emergencies, or distresses. Wow, this is, we're almost done with this part. Here we go. So now we come to the practice of modern times. Let me see how far we're going to get. I don't think we're going to finish. That one. Not that one. This one we're going to cover. This is Hislops. Yep, we have Hislops. And then we're going to cover this one for the dissenter. There it is. 
practice in modern times. The Christians of the Greek church observe four regular fasts. The first commences on the 15th of November or 40 days before Christmas. The second is on the one which immediately precedes Easter. The third begins the week after Whitsuntide, Whitsunday, and continues till the festival of St. Peter and Paul. The number of days, therefore, comp- comprised in these se- seasons of fasting is not settled and determined. They are more or less long according as Whitsunday falls sooner or later. The fourth fast commences on the 1st of August, lasts no longer till the 15th. These fasts are observed with great strictness and austerity. The only days when they indulge themselves in drinking wine and usually using oil are Saturdays and Sundays. In the English church, Lent was first commanded to be observed in England by Urcumbert, seventh king of Kent. Before the year 800, the Lenten fast does not embrace all the days included between Ash Wednesday and Easter, for Sundays are so many days above the number of 40. They are excluded because the Lord's Day is always held as a festival and never a fast. These six Sundays are therefore called Sundays in Lent, not Sundays of Lent. The principal days of Lent are the first day of Lent, Ash Wednesday, and the Passion Week, particularly Thursday and Friday in that week. There's also a solemn service appointed for Ash Wednesday. Or Wednesday! Under the title of combination or denouncing of God's anger and judgment against sinners. The last week of Lent called Passion Week has always been considered as its most solemn season. It is called the Great Week for the important transactions which are then commemorated. Same rules, observance, observations, services, etc. are observed in the Protestant Episcopal Church of America as in the Church of England during the solemn, solemn season of Lent. In nearly all the Protestant churches of Europe, particularly in the Lutheran church, fast and Lenten season remain up to this day pretty much the same as in the Roman Catholic church. Why is that? Because they came from unholy mother church. Because they are truly products of Roman Catholicism. Now we are going to actually get into the pagan side of that as we read Hislop's two Babylons Next time. And I will add to this teaching a little more on Lent. A little more. That's the history of it. A little more on how it all ties together. We'll study a little more on that. To kind of put it all together. Okay? Because it is connected to Roman Catholic pagan days right here is part of that Shrove Tuesday like we talked about I'll show you a little more facts about that then we'll, we'll go ahead and finish up today and then we'll really get into some stuff okay and then maybe what I'll add to that is on Woden's Day, maybe what I'll do is I will add to that 10 reasons why you should not observe Lent. Not to be confused with Lent in your belly button, but Lent. Or Ash Wednesday. Because no one likes ashy skin. I mean, really. 
no one likes ashy skin. Shrove Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday. So called from the custom among the Roman Catholics of confessing their sins on that day. And so qualifying themselves for Lent. In process of time, this was turned into taking leave of flesh and other dainties. And afterward, by degrees, into sports and merrymaking. In old Scotland, it was called Eastern's Eve. Probably the Eve of the Great Feast. In England, it was received the name of Pancake Tuesday. My goodness, that sounds wonderful. Pancake Tuesday from the fritters and pancakes eaten on that day. Goodness me. Pancake Day? That can't be evil. And Fritter Day sounds fabulous. Leave it to our good English brethren to have Pancake Tuesday and Fritter Day. I love it. Fritter Day. Pancake Tuesday. Why? Because you're going to get fat. Why? Because it's Fat Tuesday. That's why. You're going to get fat. Interesting. The Dominicans. Poor Albigenses. Not look. Peter of Castanau, who had made himself especially obnoxious by his severity, was killed at Toulouse in 1208. Interesting, isn't it? Lots of good stuff. Fat Tuesday. Pancake Day. Look at this. Called Chaste Week. is an old English term for the period immediately following Ash Wednesday. So-called because the faithful, having just received absolution on Shrove Tuesday, were expected to remain pure at the commencement of Lent. Do you see, do you see what they're doing? They have festival. All of this stuff bypasses the atonement of Christ. That's what it all does. So we'll get into more of that on Wednesday. We'll talk about that Wednesday. All right? That's what we'll do. Because we'll get into some of these other things. I just thought it was fascinating when you look at some of this. I love history, though. You know, you've got the carnival, you've got uh, Mardi Gras that's connected to all this, and you have all these special days that are connected. Look, here's another one. Maundy Thursday is also known to the term Dias Cone Dominique in the, in the name given to the Thursday before Easter. The origin of this name is Dies Mandari. 
Mandate Thursday, either from the commandment, which our Savior gave to his disciples to commemorate the sacrament of his supper, which he instituted on this day, or because on this day our Savior washed his disciples' feet and gave them commandment to follow his example. Others derive it from the Saxon mandate, which means a basket and subsequently any gift of offering contained in the basket. On this day, penitents who had been put out of the church on Ash Wednesday were readmitted. See how this works? There, were also a gen- there was also a general celebration of the Lord's Supper with which the ceremony of washing the feet was connected. Candidates for baptism publicly recited the creed. The origin of this practice is generally referred to the 7th century. Folks, are you noticing something? None of this is coming from the Bible. It's all coming from the vain traditions of men. It is Roman Catholicism. Now, we'll get into it when we talk about this next time on Wednesday. We'll cover it, right? We'll cover these special days. Uh, We'll cover the paganism of it, right? We'll get into the paganism of Ash Wednesday and Lent, where it came from, what they did in Rome, how they conducted themselves, how they dealt with everything there. Hislop is going to get into that and explain the perversion of it. And I'll kind of double down on it and explain it. Okay. I hope it helps. I hope it's interesting to you and and you're edified by it and you learn to follow the scriptures. I like to give people real history. That's why I do the crusades on Sunday nights. I mean, or I do Baptist history three Sundays in a month. I do Baptist history because I want you to learn good history. And right now, I've, I've taught three times on the Crusades, and I will teach more. You know, someday I'd love to put PowerPoints to these when I have time and teach through PowerPoints because I know it would be more interesting. But anyway, I, I hope it's a blessing. That's my goal, to teach you and to edify you, right? Okay. Through the unclouded day, oh, the land of clouds. 
have we who in Jesus abide. The light of the world is Jesus. We walk in the light when we follow our guide. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, is shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. Ye dwellers in with sin-blinded eyes, the light of the world is Jesus. Go wash at his bidding, and light will arise.
Amen, everybody. All right, God bless you all. We're going to take off here now and uh, just pray for one another, pray for us, and uh, pray that the Lord would uh, just bless and meet our needs. And uh, if you'd like to give to our ministry, number one, pray for us. We always need your prayers. And uh, number two, uh, if you'd like to give to our ministry, you could do so by going to oldpathsbaptistchurch.org. Click on Donate up here, and that'll take you to a PayPal page, and then you can give that way through credit card or however you'd like to, or you could click on PayPal, Venmo, or Apple Pay here, and you can send that uh, that way, or you can go to sermonaudio.com slash Pastor Cooley, which is our Sermon Audio page, and if you go to our Sermon Audio page, let me go to it quick just so you can see it. You go to Wow, we've been having a lot of people on here, 34 people on sermon audio wow praise the lord uh okay you can go to our sermon audio page and uh, you can click on our sermons uh here uh, old paths baptist church and uh or you can click on jason cooley if you want to and, and type in my name and uh let's see here's our address 1030 south highway 3 northfield minnesota 55057 all right god bless you all everybody take care and uh we will definitely uh lord willing tuesday or excuse me, Wednesday, Wednesday. We'll be back on Wednesday and uh, we will uh, continue on with our little study here. We've been doing on Lent and other things and we will continue to teach on that and we'll talk about Hislop's two Babylons and then I'll give you some more information. Some, I think I'm going to do a little more digging on it about this. So we'll get to that. All right. God bless you all. Take care.